Part four of Timaeus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Timaeus by Plato, translated by Benjamin Jowett. Part four. Timaeus continues. Thus far in what we have been saying, with small exception, the works of intelligence have been set forth, and now we must place by the side of them, in our discourse, the things which come into being through necessity, for the creation is mixed, being made up of necessity and mind. Mind, the ruling power, persuaded necessity to bring the greater part of the created things to perfection, and thus, and after this manner, in the beginning, when the influence of reason got the better of necessity, the universe was created. But if a person will truly tell of the way in which the work was accomplished, he must include the other influence of the variable cause as well. Wherefore, we must return again and find another suitable beginning, as about the former matters, so also about these. To which end we must consider the nature of fire and water and air and earth, such as they were prior to the creation of the heaven, and what was happening to them in this previous state. For no one has as yet explained the manner of their generation, but we speak of fire and the rest of them, whatever they mean, as though men knew their natures, and we maintain them to be the first principles and letters or elements of the whole, when they cannot reasonably be compared by a man of any sense even to syllables or first compounds. And let me say thus much, I will not now speak of the first principle or principles of all things, or by whatever name they are to be called, for this reason, because it is difficult to set forth my opinion according to the method of discussion which we are at present employing. Do not imagine, any more than I can bring myself to imagine, that I should be right in undertaking so great and difficult a task. Remembering what I said at first about probability, I will do my best to give as probable an explanation as any other, or rather more probable, and I will first go back to the beginning and try to speak of each thing and of all. Once more, then, at the commencement of my discourse, I call upon God, and beg Him to be our Saviour out of a strange and unwanted enquiry, and to bring us to the haven of probability. So now let us begin again. This new beginning of our discussion of the universe requires a fuller division than the former, for then we made two classes, now a third must be revealed. The two sufficed for the former discussion one which we assumed was a pattern intelligible and always the same, and the second was only the imitation of the pattern, generated and visible. There is also a third kind, which we did not distinguish at the time, conceiving that the two would be enough. But now the argument seems to require that we should set forth in words another kind, which is difficult of explanation and dimly seen. What nature are we to attribute to this new kind of being? We reply that it is the receptacle, and in the manner the nurse of all generation. I have spoken the truth, but I must express myself in clearer language, and this will be an arduous task for many reasons, and in particular because I must first raise questions concerning fire and the other elements, and determine what each of them is. For to say with any probability or certitude which of them should be called water rather than fire, and which should be called any of them rather than all or some one of them, is a difficult matter. How, then, shall we settle this point, and what questions about the elements may be fairly raised? In the first place, 
we see that what we just now call water, by condensation, I suppose, becomes stone and earth. And this same element, when melted and dispersed, passes into vapour and air. Air again, when inflamed, becomes fire. And again, fire, when condensed and extinguished, passes once more into the form of air. And once more, air, when collected and condensed, produces cloud and mist. And from these, when still more compressed, comes flowing water, and from water comes earth and stones once more, and thus generation appears to be transmitted from one to the other in a circle. Thus, then, as the several elements never present themselves in the same form, how can any one have the assurance to assert positively that any of them, whatever it may be, is one thing rather than another? No one can, but much the safest plan is to speak of them as follows. Anything which we see to be continually changing, as, for example, fire, we must not call this or that, but rather say that it is of such a nature. Nor let us speak of water as this, but always as such. Nor must we imply that there is any stability in any of those things which we indicate by the use of the words this and that, supposing ourselves to signify something thereby, for they are too volatile to be detained in any such expressions as this or that or relative to this, or any other mode of speaking which represents them as permanent. We ought not to apply this to any of them, but rather the word such, which expresses the similar principles circulating in each and all of them. For example, that should be called fire, which is of such a nature always, and so of everything that has generation. That in which the elements severally grow up and appear and decay is alone to be called by the name this or that but that which is of a certain nature, hot or white, or anything which admits of opposite qualities, and all things that are compounded of them, ought not to be so denominated. Let me make another attempt to explain my meaning more clearly. Suppose a person to make all kinds of figures of gold, and to be always transmuting one form into all the rest. Somebody points to one of them and asks what it is. By far the safest and truest answer is, that is gold and not to call the triangle or any other figures which are formed in the gold these, as though they had existence, since they are in process of change while he is making the assertion. But if the questioner be willing to take the safe and indefinite expression, such, we should be satisfied. And the same argument applies to the universal nature which receives all bodies. That must be always called the same. For while receiving all things she never departs at all from her own nature, and never in any way, or at any time, assumes a form like that of any of the things which enter into her. She is the natural recipient of all impressions, and is stunned and informed by them, and appears different from time to time by reason of them. But the forms which enter into and go out of her are the likenesses of real existences, modelled after their patterns in a wonderful and inexplicable manner, which we will hereafter investigate. For the present we have only to conceive of three natures— First, that which is in process of generation, secondly, that in which the generation takes place, and thirdly, that of which the thing generated is a resemblance, and we may liken the receiving principle to a mother, and the source or spring to a father, and the intermediate nature to a child, and may remark further that if the model is to take every variety of form, then the matter in which the model is fashioned will not be duly prepared unless it is formless and free from the impress of any of those shapes which it is hereafter to receive from without. 
for if the matter were like any of the supervening forms, then whenever any opposite or entirely different nature was stamped upon its surface, it would take the impression badly, because it would intrude its own shape. Wherefore, that which is to receive all forms should have no form. As in making perfumes, they first contrive that the liquid substance which is to receive the scent shall be as inodorous as possible, or as those who wish to impress figures on soft substances do not allow any previous impression to remain, but begin by making the surface as even and smooth as possible. In the same way, that which is to receive perpetually and through its whole extent the resemblances of all eternal beings ought to be devoid of any particular form. Wherefore, the mother and receptacle of all created and visible and in any way sensible things is not to be termed earth or air or fire or water or any of their compounds or any of the elements from which these are derived, but is an invisible and formless being which receives all things and in some mysterious way partakes of the intelligible and is most incomprehensible. In saying this we shall not be far wrong. As far, however, as we can attain to a knowledge of her from the previous considerations, we may truly say that fire is that part of her nature which from time to time is inflamed, and water that which is moistened, and that the mother substance becomes earth and air in so far as she receives the impressions of them. Let us consider this question more precisely. Is there any self-existent fire, and do all those things which we call self-existent exist? or are only those things which we see, or in some way perceive through the bodily organs, truly existent, and nothing whatever besides them? And is all that which we call an intelligible essence nothing at all, and only a name? Here is a question which we must not leave unexamined or undetermined, nor must we affirm too confidently that there can be no decision. Neither must we interpolate in our present long discourse a digression equally long, but if it is possible to set forth a great principle in a few words, that is just what we want. Thus I state my view. If mind and true opinion are two distinct classes, then I say that there certainly are these self-existent ideas unperceived by sense, and apprehended only by the mind. If, however, as some say, true opinion differs in no respect from mind, then everything that we perceive through the body is to be regarded as most real and certain. But we must affirm them to be distinct, for they have a distinct origin and are of a different nature. The one is implanted in us by instruction, the other by persuasion. The one is always accompanied by true reason, the other is without reason. The one cannot be overcome by persuasion, but the other can. And lastly, every man may be said to share in true opinion but mind is the attribute of the gods and of very few men. Wherefore also we must acknowledge that there is one kind of being which is always the same, uncreated and indestructible, never receiving anything into itself from without, nor itself going out to any other, but invisible and imperceptible by any sense, and of which the contemplation is granted to intelligence only. And there is another nature of the same name with it, and like to it, perceived by sense, created, always in motion, becoming in place and again vanishing out of place, which is apprehended by opinion and sense. And there is a third nature, which is space and is eternal, and admits not of destruction, and provides a home for all created things, 
and is apprehended without the help of sense, by a kind of spurious reason, and is hardly real, which we, beholding as in a dream, say of all existence that it must of necessity be in some place, and occupy a space, but that what is neither in heaven nor in earth has no existence. Of these and other things of the same kind, relating to the true and waking reality of nature, we have only this dream-like sense, and we are unable to cast off sleep and determine the truth about them. For an image, since the reality after which it is modelled does not belong to it, and it exists ever as the fleeting shadow of some other, must be inferred to be in another, that is, in space, grasping existence in some way or other, or it could not be at all. But true and exact reason, vindicating the nature of true being, maintains that while two things, that is, the image and space, are different, they cannot exist one of them in the other, and so be one and also two at the same time. Thus have I concisely given the result of my thoughts, and my verdict is that being and space and generation, these three, existed in their three ways before the heaven, and that the nurse of generation, moistened by water and inflamed by fire, and receiving the forms of earth and air, and experiencing all the affections which accompany these, presented a strange variety of appearances, and being full of powers which were neither similar nor equally balanced, was never in any part in a state of equipoise, but swaying unevenly hither and thither, was shaken by them, and by its motion again shook them, and the elements, when moved, were separated and carried continually, some one way, some another, as, when grain is shaken and winnowed by fans and other instruments used in the threshing of corn, the close and heavy particles are borne away and settle in one direction, and the loose and light particles in another. In this manner, the four kinds or elements were then shaken by the receiving vessel, which, moving like a winnowing machine, scattered far away from one another the elements most unlike, and forced the most similar elements into close contact. Wherefore, also, the various elements had different places before they were arranged so as to form the universe. At first they were all without reason and measure, but when the world began to get into order, fire and water and earth and air had only certain faint traces of themselves, and were altogether such as everything might be expected to be in the absence of God. This, I say, was their nature at that time, and God fashioned them by form and number, let it be consistently maintained by us in all that we say that God made them as far as possible the fairest and best, out of things which were not fair and good. And now I will endeavour to show you the disposition and generation of them by an unaccustomed argument which I am compelled to use, but I believe that you will be able to follow me, for your education has made you familiar with the methods of science. In the first place, then, as is evident to all, Fire and earth and water and air are bodies, and every sort of body possesses solidity, and every solid must necessarily be contained in planes, and every plane rectilinear figure is composed of triangles, and all triangles are originally of two kinds, both of which are made up of one right and two acute angles. One of them has at either end of the base the half of a divided right angle, having equal sides, while on the other the right angle is divided into unequal parts, having unequal sides. These, then, proceeding by a combination of probability with demonstration, we assume to be the original elements of fire and the other bodies, 
but the principles which are prior to these God only knows, and he of men who is the friend of God. And next we have to determine what are the four most beautiful bodies which are unlike one another, and of which some are capable of resolution into one another. For having discovered thus much, we shall know the true origin of earth and fire, and of the proportionate and intermediate elements. And then we shall not be willing to allow that there are any distinct kinds of visible bodies fairer than these. Wherefore we must endeavour to construct the four forms of bodies which excel in beauty, and then we shall be able to say that we have sufficiently apprehended their nature. Now, of the two triangles, the isosceles has one form only, the scalene, or unequal-sided, has an infinite number. Of the infinite forms we must select the most beautiful, if we are to proceed in due order, and any one who can point out a more beautiful form than ours for the construction of these bodies shall carry off the palm, not as an enemy, but as a friend. Now, the one which we maintain to be the most beautiful of all the many triangles, and we need not speak of the others, is that of which the double forms a third triangle, which is equilateral. The reason of this would be long to tell. He who disproves what we are saying, and shows that we are mistaken, may claim a friendly victory. Then let us choose two triangles, out of which fire and the other elements have been constructed. One isosceles, the other having the square of the longer side equal to three times the square of the lesser side. Now is the time to explain what was before obscurely said. There was an error in imagining that all the four elements might be generated by and into one another. This, I say, was an erroneous supposition, for there are generated from the triangles which you have selected four kinds, three from the one which has the sides unequal, the fourth alone is framed out of the isosceles triangle. Hence they cannot all be resolved into one another, a great number of small bodies being combined into a few large ones, or the converse, but three of them can be thus resolved and compounded, for they all spring from one, and when the greater bodies are broken up, many small bodies will spring up out of them, and take their own proper figures. Or, again, when many small bodies are dissolved into their triangles, if they become one, they will form one large mass of another kind. So much for their passage into one another. I have now to speak of their several kinds, and show out of what combinations of numbers each of them was formed. The first will be the simplest and smallest construction, and its element is that triangle which has its hypotenuse twice the lesser side. When two such triangles are joined at the diagonal, and this is repeated three times, and the triangles rest their diagonals and shorter sides on the same point as a centre, a single equilateral triangle is formed out of six triangles, and four equilateral triangles if put together make out of every three plane angles one solid angle, being that which is nearest to the most obtuse of plane angles, and out of the combination of these four angles arises the first solid form which distributes into equal and similar parts the whole circle in which it is inscribed. The second species of solid is formed out of the same triangles, which unite as eight equilateral triangles and form one solid angle out of four plane angles, and out of six such angles the second body is completed. And the third body is made up of 120 triangular elements, forming twelve solid angles, each of them included in five plane equilateral triangles, having altogether twenty bases, each of which is an equilateral triangle. 
the one element, that is, the triangle which has its hypotenuse twice the lesser side, having generated these figures, generated no more. But the isosceles triangle produced the fourth elementary figure, which is compounded of four such triangles, joining their right angles in a centre, and forming one equilateral quadrangle. Six of these, united, form eight solid angles, each of which is made by the combination of three plain right angles. The figure of the body, thus composed, is a cube, having six plain quadrangular equilateral bases. There was yet a fifth combination which God used in the delineation of the universe. Now he who, duly reflecting on all this, inquires whether the worlds are to be regarded as indefinite or definite in number, will be of opinion that the notion of their indefiniteness is characteristic of a sadly indefinite and ignorant mind. He, however, who raises the question whether they are to be truly regarded as one or five, takes up a more reasonable position. Arguing from probabilities, I am of opinion that they are one. Another, regarding the question from another point of view, will be of another mind. But, leaving this inquiry, let us proceed to distribute the elementary forms which have now been created in idea among the four elements. To earth, then, let us assign the cubical form, for earth is the most immovable of the four and the most plastic of all bodies, and that which has the most stable basis must of necessity be of such a nature. Now, of the triangles which we assumed at first, that which has two equal sides is by nature more firmly based than that which has unequal sides, and of the compound figures which are formed out of either, the plain equilateral quadrangle has necessarily a more stable base than the equilateral triangle, both in the whole and in the parts. Wherefore, in assigning this figure to earth, we adhere to probability. And to water we assign that one of the remaining forms which is the least movable, and the most movable of them to fire, and to air that which is intermediate. Also, we assign the smallest body to fire, and the greatest to water, and the intermediate in size to air, and again the acutest body to fire, and the next in acuteness to air, and the third to water. Of all these elements, that which has the fewest bases must necessarily be the most movable, for it must be the acutest and most penetrating in every way, and also the lightest, as being composed of the smallest number of similar particles. And the second body has similar properties in a second degree, and the third body in the third degree. Let it be agreed, then, both according to strict reason and according to probability, that the pyramid is the solid which is the original element and seed of fire. And let us assign the element which was next in the order of generation to air, and the third to water. We must imagine all these to be so small that no single particle of any of the four kinds is seen by us on account of their smallness. But when many of them are collected together, their aggregates are seen, and the ratios of their numbers, motions, and other properties Everywhere God, as far as necessity allowed or gave consent, has exactly perfected, and harmonized in due proportion. From all that we have just been saying about the elements or kinds, the most probable conclusion is as follows. Earth, when meeting with fire and dissolved by its sharpness, whether the dissolution take place in the fire itself, or perhaps in some mass of air or water, is borne hither and thither until its parts meeting together and mutually harmonizing, again become earth, for they can never take any other form. 
but water, when divided by fire or by air, on reforming, may become one part fire and two parts air, and a single volume of air, divided, becomes two of fire. Again, when a small body of fire is contained in a larger body of air or water or earth, and both are moving, and the fire struggling is overcome and broken up, then two volumes of fire form one volume of air, and when air is overcome and cut up into small pieces, two and a half parts of air are condensed into one part of water. Let us consider the matter in another way. When one of the other elements is fastened upon by fire, and is cut by the sharpness of its angles and sides, it coalesces with the fire, and then ceases to be cut by them any longer. For no element which is one and the same with itself can be changed by or change another of the same kind and in the same state. But so long as in the process of transition the weaker is fighting against the stronger, the dissolution continues. Again, when a few small particles, enclosed in many larger ones, are in process of decomposition and extinction, they only cease from their tendency to extinction when they consent to pass into the conquering nature and fire becomes air and air water. But if bodies of another kind go and attack them, that is, the small particles, the latter continue to be dissolved until, being completely forced back and dispersed, they make their escape to their own kindred, or else, being overcome and assimilated to the conquering power, they remain where they are and dwell with their victors, and from being many become one. And owing to these affections, all things are changing their place, for by the motion of the receiving vessel the bulk of each class is distributed into its proper place. But those things which become unlike themselves and like other things are hurried by the shaking into the place of the things to which they grow like. Now, all unmixed and primary bodies are produced by such causes as these. As to the subordinate species, which are included in the greater kinds, they are to be attributed to the varieties in the structure of the two original triangles. For either structure did not originally produce the triangle of one size only, but some larger and some smaller, and there are as many sizes as there are species of the four elements. Hence, when they are mingled with themselves and with one another, there is an endless variety of them, which those who would arrive at the probable truth of nature ought duly to consider. End of Part 4